In this episode of The Full Nerd, MD's Robert Halleck and Scott Herkelman talk Ryzen 3000 and Radeon 5700 series. Welcome to the Full Nerd episode, special episode. This is a special episode of the Full Nerd. I'm your host, Gordon Maung, with co-host Brad Charkas. Hello. And in the house, we have none other than, I'm going to go right to left, Scott Herkelman of hey. AMD and Robert Halleck of AMD. Hey, everybody. These are the people you want to talk to about all things Ryzen 3000 and all things Radeon 5700, but also got to give a special shout out to Dan Masaoka. Back from having a baby, folks. If we have problems with this stream, he, if he doesn't hit the record button, don't blame him. He just had a baby. Give the give the man a break. I hey. guarantee. I guarantee there will be something going wrong. So, but Adam seemed to think a rusty me would be better than nothing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, and can you? Should we give a shout out to the new baby? I don't. Some people don't want to use the names. I was suggesting Kobe because Dan's a Lakers fan. Yeah, that's true. Kobe's not a bad name. Yeah, Kobe. You should just like. Slip that in there. So. No, but we went with Leo. Okay. Leo, Leo Amaru Masaoka. Okay, so welcome, welcome. to the world. Welcome, Solid Leo. When you are watching this YouTube stream in 25 years, like, hey. <laughs> that was me. Dad's talking yeah. about me on the YouTube. I just want to get that in there. But the important thing now, nobody cares about the other stuff. Sorry. They want to know about <laughs> Radeon. They want to know about Ryzen. Uh, I'm going to take the first question because I know everybody wants to ask. Um and it's actually not about the technology. It's a lot of exciting oh. things about Radeon, a lot of exciting <laughs> things about Ryzen, but a lot of it's about personnel shifting. People seem to care more about who's going where. This person just went there. I read a rumor here. This person gone there. I heard a rumor, rumor, and I want you, I want to ask you that Kevin Durant is going to AMD. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. Um, <laughs> that's only for basketball fans. Uh, if he came to AMD, I think uh, I don't think I would leave whatever wherever he was. I would oh, just sit okay. Next to him the whole so it's tr- it's confirmed. KD to AMD. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good trade. Good trade. <laughs> That'd be a good trade. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, the real question is a lot of rumors about Frank Azor, the one of the creators of Alienware, very, very early, basically one of the forefathers of, of gaming PCs, going to AMD. Rumors? Can you say? I think at this time it's just a rumor. Um, I've known Frank a long time. We have, a lot of us have. He's a really good guy. But I think at this time it's just a rumor. Just a rumor. So yeah. just a rumor. So we don't. It's just like the KD. Uh, that's why I brought that up. Because if you follow basketball, it's like it's insane. The entire sports media, NBA media, is just focused on where KD is going to go in the in, mm-hmm. the, in yeah. the off season. So. Yeah. Got to get those clicks. And no, and and a lot of it, and I bring that up because I, who knows where he's going? I mean, he knows, I guess, but nowhere, nowhere. But <laughs> so, if you're all concerned about that, we don't know. Uh, Brad, I'm, I'm I don't want to monopolize this. Brad, your turn. My turn. I have nitty gritty questions. I figure we you can kick things off with an overview first or something. Oh well, okay. Well, I already know because uh, from E3. You've yeah. got one, uh, and Computex, apparently one badass CPU coming. One do, indeed. decently badass GPU coming, but there's going to be some zingers for you, I think, from people. But you want to start off with Ryzen? Let's do it. We've only seen your numbers are when the chips, when we actually finally see performance results independent, when they get into consumers' hands, are we going to be pleasantly surprised, or is it just the you've been 
you know, you've been picking numbers to make the part look better than it is. No, that's a really good question because um, the numbers that we publish publicly, that's actually my day job for Ryzen. And, you know, I care a lot about producing numbers that, yes, of course, make AMD look as good as possible, but are also realistic for customers. Because if, if they're not realistic, then we get in trouble and people are disappointed. And, you know, a, a $200 CPU is a lot of money. A $500 CPU is a lot of money. So there's there's a integrity that you have to have to publish those numbers. So I want to be clear that I think the gaming story will be comparable. I think there'll be a big lead in content creation and a big lead in power efficiency because of 7 nanometer. And I think that's what people are going to see on launch day. Wow, I thought I was going to get more attitude. Kind of like throw down <laughs> like, yeah! I, I think one of the things uh, Ryzen as a brand and all the employees who work on it really value is being... Uh, transparent and honest about what that product is uh, for good and for bad because it, it, it frankly it, it makes the job easier to do and and it ingratiates the product and yourselves to to people who might buy and and that's the smartest most honest way to do business okay look at that being being straight here are you is it going to be uh, are uh is is rising going to uh, I guess the other question, uh, I do want to ask, how proud are you of this product? <laughs> Tremendously. <laughs> uh, I know, I've been at AMD, um, it'll be nine years total as of August 10th. And um, it, it's by far the most competitive product that I've ever worked on. Um, the most technologically advanced for its time that I've ever worked on. And it, it really is a joy to work with it, to work on it because there's just so much to talk about that's new and interesting and good. And um, it, it does feel kind of like Athlon XP, Athlon 64 all over again. That was my heyday growing up, you know, 13, 14 years old, reading Boot Magazine. Yeah. And um, it feels like that time again. Wow. I mean, because, I mean, definitely Athlon XP, if you think about it, uh, we rank... Uh, one gigahertz K7, I guess yeah. Athlon, right? And then you have Athlon XP, Athlon 64. Does this part feel as significant or more significant than those previous three? I, I think it's more significant in that if you look at all the things that you can do from a technological perspective, process technology, core architecture, packaging technology, platform technologies, and then the BIOS and firmware features you throw on top, this has leadership in every category and that was not true necessarily of the previous products like they were very competitive and they were very strong but they didn't always lead in process tech for example so when i look at this i really do think that these products you know in five years time ten years time will be viewed as sort of a historic moment for amd i really do yeah i was kind of thinking like this this is like first ballot hall of, hall of fame cpu hall of fame for these i think this so part probably I hope so. Hope so. <laughs> too many sports. Too many sports <laughs> comparisons there. Uh, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave Scott out of this for for Radeon fifty seven hundred, uh, fifty seven hundred XT. Uh, publicly, let me make sure I've got this right. You're saying twenty seventy performance. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that. Uh, to to Robert's point, um, the, the data that we showed at E three, public data, we measured it against the twenty seventy. Um, but what we didn't say is actually against the 2070 Founders Edition. Um, and the Founders Edition performs up to 5% faster than a standard vanilla 2070. 
And so we didn't say that on purpose because we wanted to leave a little bit of goodness out there in most of the comparisons. So I think on July 7th, when you see a lot of the, the data and the performance reviews, you'll see that that's a 599 card today, uh, the 2070 Founders Edition. And where we priced this product and the fact that we actually tested it against the Founders Edition, not the vanilla 2070, I think gamers will be pleasantly surprised with the performance that they're going to get at the price point that we've, we've offered. Hmm. Okay. I didn't know that it was a was an FE version. But. Yeah, that's right. So all of our data runs that we showed at E3, all the public data, uh, was against Founders Edition, not only 2070, but also the 2060. You know, I guess I think, too, is for NVIDIA, Founders Edition's cards in the old days used to be sort of like a baseline performance, and you move up from there, but with the 2,000 parts, they definitely sort of bumped up instead. Yeah, they have, uh, they have a 2070, which is their standard, and then they have their Founders Editions, which are their fast, fast parts. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to perform, you know, put out data. The new AMD, the new Ryzen, the new Radeon strategy is to, you know, communicate well what we think the real performance is and be transparent. So on that slide, you actually saw a wide variety of performance, you know, good performance and even places where we lose because we, we think gamers really care about honesty. And they really care about, you know, what game are they playing and what result will mm-hmm. they see? Because gamers don't play every game, but they play an assortment of games. And so it's important when you choose a GPU, what GPU do you want to play your favorite games? So we wanted to show accurate data. We wanted to show where we win and lose and make sure that we're transparent about that that process of how we collect our data and how we analyze it. Yeah, I, I will say after Navi was, was launched, it was, a, it was a really long buildup. We finally got Navi. There were some people, I, it was interesting, there were a couple of different camps that I, I wouldn't have expected to break out. One was why is Navi not a 2080 Ti killer or competitor? Yeah. And then the one was like, it's too too expensive. This I expected RX 580 pricing for this this card. Uh, Can you address both those? Yeah, let me start with, I still believe today the Radeon 7 is a really good competitor to 2080. Um, and it's for multiple workloads. And like we mentioned last time I was here on your podcast, actually we talked about creative workloads and, and even gaming workloads with the, the buffer, the frame buffer advantage that we have. Uh, with that card and the price point. So I think that is our product to compete against the 2080. Um, with Navi, we specifically, you know, three years ago, targeted this segment to bring out a new GPU. And we're timing it uh, appropriately for the market. So we look at the market and talk to all the game developers, um, all the console manufacturers, everybody out there, all of our OEM ecosystem, and we say, where's the heart of the market? And the heart of the market is between the GPU space, between call it $200 all mm-hmm. the way up to $500. And so we wanted to come out with GPUs in that space, and Navi, we targeted, targeted Navi specifically for that. And then if you look at the features we're adding, we're timing the features to when the ecosystem is going to be ready. And so those are some of the things, if you look at some of our console announcements, you know, we see, uh, with our partners in the console space, we see ray tracing and some other features as more forward-looking features, and we'll be ready when, those, when the ecosystem's ready and when the game developers are ready. You know, there's, we don't feel like we need to force anyone to adopt ray tracing, we want to be there when they're ready. And that's something that uh, that you'll see in our roadmap out in time. But it's super important for us to, to really hit that mass market price point where people want great performance for the value of the dollar. And we believe that uh, Navi's achieved that. Okay. Because you're basically saying you're giving people $2070, $600 GPU performance for 
449. 449. That's right. That, with the XT. That's right. That's right. And so, um, and it wasn't widely known when we did that performance chart. And I was ex- excited to come talk to you today that and give you the update that it was against the Founders Edition because not very many people know that. Unless you read the legal notes that we put in the last slide, which nobody does. But, um, except Reddit. You know, so, except <laughs> I do. Sometimes Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we wanted to, you know, the old Radeon would have said we were the best thing ever and we would have showed just wins. And, and I think that our new approach, you know, I read Reddit every day. And I never respond because you, you sometimes you can't. But one of the things, the biggest complaints are, hey, how do you brand your products? You know, there's a lot of questions of why do you call it 5700? And, you know, the Radeon stack is very confusing. So I'd like to address that today. Okay. And then the other thing is just be honest. You know, where does the GPU fit? And so mm-hmm. our first step in launching Navi is be honest with our performance. And then, you know, uh, make sure that we're clear with wins and losses. And that's the new Radeon we want to set forward. Um, going forward, you'll see us correct our branding. Um, we, we do not want to do uh, things that are confusing with our brands and our, our, our designators. Like, for example, you'll see XT as our top performing part. You'll see no moniker for our standard part. And then we want to iterate every generation. So the next generation will be something iterative, iterative off this naming scheme. And we want to just keep that consistent for the next you know five to ten years and make sure that we're super clear on the performance levels Things that are maybe um, tweaks in performance or different variables of uh, either frame buffer size or features. We want to make it super clear going forward and consistent so that way gamers can recognize our brand, they can recognize our stack, and they know what they're buying into uh, across the world. And is it also because you sort of have three competing brands still existing because we have RX 580, we still have Vega. That's right, Radio 7. Have... I think oh, over, that's four. My yeah, gosh. so I think over time we're, we will clean all that up. Okay. with our, And this is the start of our new naming system. Um, and we want to make it super understandable. And that's something that we spent a lot of time over the last couple of years debating internally. Um, there was a lot of different uh, iterations of the branding. But one thing that was nice to do with Navi is it, with our new architecture, new RDN ar- architecture, gave us a chance to just reboot everything. To reboot how we go to market, to reboot how we talk to gamers about our performance, and to reboot how we brand things. So I think as you see over the next few years, we're going to really make it a, a really conservative effort to make it make sense to gamers and less confusing because we have been confusing in the past, I think. And I think it's our opportunity now to set to set the record straight going forward that will make it a little bit easier to understand okay. and how it all flows. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. I am encouraged by that. <laughs> you could add super or something like that. Uh, maybe awesome. Super duper. Super maybe. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I want to respect this. Oh, wait, Brad. wait, wait, wait. Before we go on, just since you mentioned Vega, I was just wondering, are these cards going to replace Vega or are those getting moved down the product stack? Um, I think that we, you know, we still are selling Vega in the marketplace, but these cards in that mar- in that market space will eventually um, go away. Um, you're talking about the Radeon Vega 64 and the Radeon, Radeon Vega yeah. 56, so those are still available today. But these cards will be replacing most of that that demand that's in the marketplace today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for CPU stuff, Robert, I uh, at E3 at the Editor's Day, there was a lot of talk about Windows optimizations sure. that went into place with the latest May update. 1903 is, is what I, I just call it. It's easier. <clears throat> it, it essentially sort of corrected some issues with the uh, Ryzen's architecture and where the threads go to different different of the CCDs, right? Yeah, so we have a, a unique CPU topology where you have a, a cluster of four cores then some cache and another cluster of four cores. And that is unique in the industry. And each cluster of four cores in the third gen Ryzen has access, local access to 16 megs of cache for a total of 32 in the, in the CPU die. And 
we were finding that there were workloads that were very lightly threaded or low priority that would get kicked around between CCXs or the processes would spawn multiple threads, but they'd be on different CCXs. And that does incur a latency penalty uh, because you have to go through the IO die uh, on the chip to and go back up to the other CCX. So keeping threads local to a cluster before... Uh, spawning more threads or before migrating them, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna help with performance. And um, but you know it it is circumstantial too. I want to be clear about that. For applications that are uh, lightly threaded, um, older DirectX nine type games, I'm thinking of games like Skyrim, CS:GO, Rocket League, and games running at a lower qual- image quality preset. That's where it's most beneficial. It is not a universal uplift. Yeah, and that's one thing I I wanted to 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 get. Um to ask you because I did some initial testing on a Threadripper, mm. um, 32 core Threadripper, 20 you know, awesome CPU, 32 cores, but four four chips, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, 1903 is really going to like bump up my performance, and I didn't see anything. And and that is sort of, it's not going to be everything, even on lightly threaded. It's it's not everything, and and we want to be really clear about that. You know, it it for us, this change was. Um, Working on edge cases, as you continue to iterate architectures over time, you can spend more time working on edge cases to bring up uh, things that people do that are popular, but, um, you know, are not universal. And so this was an opportunity for us to, to check a box on something that is is not universal, but is important to certain types of users. Okay. And it definitely can help some. It's just Absolutely. we got to look for those mm-hmm. those nuggets. But not oh not a universal fifty percent right. bump. Okay. Um, the other thing I, I need to, to make sure we get straight uh, since we're on that topic is nineteen oh three gives you the improved scheduler. Yep. But that uh, clock ramp latency right. is only going to happen with a driver. That's correct. So uh, if you have Windows ten version nineteen oh three today, any Ryzen CPU has access to the new topology awareness. However. Uh, that other thing, it's called CPPC2, just a brief primer on that. Um, our CPU works at a one millisecond resolution internally. If we want to change clock speeds, we could do that in firmware as quickly as one millisecond. But until version 1903 of Windows 10, it was happening at 30 milliseconds. So uh, 30 times slower than it could have been done. So with this new feature, when you install the chipset driver that will be available on July 7th, and this is only for third-gen Ryzen CPUs, but when you install that chipset driver on July 7th, the CPU will be in complete control of its own clock speed selection. So instead of 30 milliseconds, it's one to two. And so that helps with bursty workloads like application launches, web page rendering, et cetera. But I want to be clear, you need a new chipset driver for that. That comes July 7th. Okay. but definitely, And also only on the new chips. Correct. So not on the older 2000 parts. That's right. Huh, okay. Brad, I don't want to monopolize again. You want to answer yourself? It's cool. Uh, I have a quick question for Scott, actually. Uh, I don't know if this has been answered before, but I'm curious about it. Uh, So Ryzen 5700 is coming out, you know, roughly the same ballpark as Vega 56 and Vega 64 launched, price-wise. And those uh, cards had HBM2, and AMD has been a big, you know, proponent of HBM2. I was wondering why you guys went with the GDDR6 for these cards. Uh. Yeah, I think it's uh, all opportunistic for us uh, and new technology and and um, and what we see in the memory market and how we apply that to new architectures going forward. By the way, um, you know we are not ruling out HBM two in our roadmap. There's uh, we will continue to support that in markets that make sense. 
Um, I think for Vega, we had planned that out. You know, you make these decisions, you know, two or three years out in time. And at that time, when we made the decision for Vega, it made sense for HBM2, and it still did, still does. Um, but the pricing of HBM is very volatile, as well as just regular GDDR6, by the way. Um, yeah. And so we made this decision on GDDR6, you know, three years ago, roughly. So uh, we, we try and predict markets out in time. And I think that uh, the boost GDDR6 gives us is nice. And the, and the pricing is, uh, as of today is, is a little bit better than HBM as well. So we're able to hit better price points, still get great performance, and, uh, and, and a little bit wider adoption across the marketplaces that we're trying to service with these products. It's just a little easier for our OEMs and, and other places to, uh, you know, uh, procure GDDR6 than it, is, than it is HBM type of memory. So I think that for us, it's, um, it's a little bit wider adoption of that memory topology than HBM. And it's a little bit easier for us to predict markets. Uh, and, and when more of the consuming public in, in the PC space buys gddr it's it's makes it more cost efficient for us and predictable that makes sense yeah okay oh, i just had another oh sorry Go i was ahead. gonna say uh there's a question uh from youtube does the one millisecond uh thing work on x370 motherboards yes it does that is internal to the cpu firmware so if you have any motherboard with a bios update to support third gen ryzen you will get that that capability oh good that's mm-hmm. that's good to hear uh-huh. As a X370 owner, I'm happy to hear that. Very good. <laughs> but now they won't buy X570. I, well, I mean, I just to that point though about no, you know, not buying X570 or buying X570. This this is a, a strategic decision that we made years ago with Ryzen to have this kind of upgradable socket. Socket AM4 started at 28 nanometer, four core, four thread, PCI Gen 3, and today it's 16 core, 32 thread, seven nanometer, like. Like nobody has ever attempted that level of upgradability in the history of x86 market. So, yeah, uh, there will be people who stay on those older motherboards, and that's, that's okay because it, 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 it's user-friendliness that the other guy doesn't give you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think 28 to 14 to 12 and now a 7 nanometer yeah. part in the yeah. same. same socket. Although I, I was actually, I was talking to Rob and I think it was Jim Pryor right before the original Ryzen launch. And you guys were talking to me about how you guys are planning to support AM4 through at least 2020, I think it was at the time. Uh, and that played a big part in my decision to invest in my personal rig, Ryzen, actually. So I think that's that's an important part. Yeah, and I think you're seeing uh-huh. us pay that off right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the third gen Ryzen is launching. Obviously, it's going to go into 2020. And there it is, right? You you that's amd making good on that promise that we made three years ago do what would be a major inflection point to to come out with am5 though it would have to be something that changes the pin count of the processor or or the data pins on the processor there's you know there's nothing imminently on the horizon for that i mean i sort of i think everybody sort of expects um ddr5 to be that thing that sort of like forces everybody to, it, it to make a be. change it could sure. be i i'm gonna just float this now because i i have loved this idea it's like you have am5 with DDR5, although now it doesn't make any sense, and PCIe 5. Oh, my. It's like, yeah, 555. Well, they just ratified. Like 777. They just ratified, like, yeah, PCI 5, right? I know. Yeah. (laughs) Or 6, or I don't remember. That, you know, I I should ask you that, because a lot of people said, well, PCIe 4, they already have PCIe 5. You know, of course, then two weeks later, we have PCIe 6. 6, yeah. Do you think, a lot of people say, well, maybe you should have waited for PCIe 5. No, these standards always move into the market at a slower pace than 
I think end users expect. They're always like an 18 to 24 month horizon a PS, not a promise of when AMD is supporting <laughs> PCI Gen 5. <laughs> but but the, the reality is that these standards turn from ratified paper specifications into shipping products on a much longer horizon than people think. So Gen 4, that is the standard, the leading standard for a while, a while. And we're the only game in town that has it. So uh, I'm not at all worried about Gen 5 suddenly popping up and replacing <laughs> Gen 4. Yeah, it did, it did I have, a, I have well. a question that piggybacks off of that for Scott, actually. So the Radeon 5700 is the first graphics card that also supports PCIe 4. That's right. And there are going to be, you know, obvious compute and stuff like that workloads that could take advantage of that. I was trying to think of a gaming workload that would take advantage of that because current graphics cards don't really saturate PCIe 3 so much. I was wondering if maybe going to PCIe 4 could improve Crossfire performance. Um, maybe I, I, uh, we should talk about that maybe offline, <laughs> uh, okay. but, but I, I would say that there, it would have to be a very, very corner case for gaming okay. workloads. What we find by the way, why we're in the graphics space so excited about PCI Gen 4 is a large majority of people buying gaming GPUs from us and from our competitors are using creative workloads, even all the way down mm-hmm. to $200. Mm-hmm. And so in these creative workloads, whether, you know, when you're in a fully enabled ecosystem with CPU motherboard like Ryzen's offering, and now a GPU, in creative workloads, there are some good benefits to that, that heavy, uh, or the, the increased bandwidth. And so um, it's, you know, I would be remiss to say that it's, you know, there's not a lot for gaming, but what I would say is people who buy gaming GPUs use them more than just gaming. Um, and we see that all the time in our, our driver usage and, and, and in feedback from consumers. It's just, um, it, there's much more of a benefit in creative workloads today for that new uh, standard than there is maybe in gaming as of today, but in, in crossfire situations, I think we should we should talk about that when when we're ready to talk about that a little bit more publicly about how that could okay. saturate the bus. But I, it, a lot of that de- that depends upon developers adopting multi GPU inside their game, and um, we would love to see it, but it's a lot of extra work. And uh, what we're finding out is about less than one percent of the population uses multi GPU in games, and so wow. um, even for those people who do, um, they might see some benefit. But it's really corner case, game dependent, and uh, situation, uh, you know, resolution, all that kind of stuff that has to factor into it. But it, it would it wouldn't be a reason why I would suggest for someone to buy a PCIe Gen Four uh, f- for specific gaming multi GPU workloads today. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Is it is it uh... Our developers actually, once they now have access to PCIe 4, now they have access to essentially affordable 8-core. I mean, 8-core CPUs, that's like almost standard these it days. Is. <clears throat> Are, is that going to push developers to, hey, I'm going to support this now, finally, we're going to... Uh, well, the, the exciting news is because of the Ryzen team has um, really pushed the core count. I mean, they are, they have been leading the industry over the last couple of years, as we all know, to to add more cores. It, it takes time for developers to see that, and it takes time for them to maybe think about how engine adoption can be different. Or, and not only that, but even our creative uh, ISVs, uh, uh, developers, they once they see that penetration in the market, they get excited because that's a, now an, an, a boost in performance that they've never been able to go after before. So that we have already started seeing momentum across the ISV ecosystem and across creative uh, developers to say, now what can I do with all these extra cores? And um, I'm so happy because I've run the ISV team as well for AMD that because of Verizon's lead and core count and, and threads, it's, it's really pushing 
ISVs to come up with new ways to think about how they can make their games run faster, how they can multi-thread it, and then provide more value to end users, both in game scenarios as well as creative workloads. So I think we're just starting to see some of these applications come out. But I think over the next two or three years, you're going to see a lot of really great things enabled just because of what the Ryzen's team has done with cores and threads. Could, could the same thing happen with PCIe 4? Because I imagine developers go, well, I really don't want to saturate PCIe because I know there's only so much. Most people are probably on 3. But with 4 here, if it gets more widespread, could they go, now I'm going to use this? Um, it, it was brought up with the consoles. Uh, Microsoft pushed this. You can't talk about your customer, of course, but they said uh, game... Game level loads will be awesome because of our our new SSD design. Yeah, I think, um, uh, uh, so let me answer it this way. I think there's always game developers, you know, can it run crisis? There's always <laughs> game developers who are just like, I don't care what the penetration is. I'm going to produce the best looking, heaviest, you know, PC game I can. So we'll have some of those games. We will see as a community have some of those games come out. Uh, over the next couple of years and we love those guys because they just push the limit to the max and that's why i think if um, when we discuss later about multi-gpu there's some really interesting things going on with these game developers now that they're seeing this extra performance come out in the cpu mm-hmm. and, a, and a renaissance of the gpu pushing even more performance and with pcie gem 4 and, and others that i think you'll start to see more games really trying to figure out how can they differentiate uh, visual fidelity and, and performance inside a game that they want to launch over the next couple of years. So I, there's going to be some exciting things that we just can't talk about right now because it's too early, but it's it's definitely enabling that next level of fidelity in games over the next couple of years. The other thing I would say is, you know, I, I do hear the question sometimes, what am I going to do with all those cores? And the alternative is really, really unappealing to me, which is only designing hardware for the stuff that's available today which means nothing ever gets any better. And stag- stagnation in the gaming market, why, why would we want that? Why would anyone want that? I want a better-looking game, faster hardware, better PC. That So, yeah, sometimes that means creating hardware that's slightly ahead of the curve, and that's okay because it inspires other industries to move forward, too. Yeah, and also the important thing is at a lower price, too. At a lower price, yeah. Because right. that getting it, in everybody's hands is I I one of the main drivers I think of, of the renaissance we're in right now Absolutely. because you know I was just thinking the other day like you know I I think people beat up a little bit too much on Intel sometimes because they didn't push thread counts but I think back to Westmere with 32 nanometer they had a six core part I it's like what ten years ago or something like that yeah and they had to they had to just drag developers to try to use 12 threads in a CPU core, and they got nowhere. I mean, it was like they got like two developers that were supported. And it just it almost feels like they kind of gave up. You know what? We don't care. Um, but and then at the same time, I think like, well, maybe developers are saying if you didn't charge $1,000 for that, that 12, you know, six core Westmere yeah. <laughs> Gulftown part, we, we would actually support it. So, you know, game developers want millions of gamers playing their game. And I think what's great about the last few years is now we're starting to see the whole industry move to more cores, more threads. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a momentum that game developers are going to want to say, you know, they're going to say, finally, now that millions of gamers have access to GPUs and CPUs and and more bandwidth, more cores, more threads, they're going to say, what else can we do inside of our game that the mass market will be able to use and play? And, you know, at the end of the day, they care about millions of gamers playing their game and they want to make the best looking game, but they have to you know, shoot right. They have to shoot straight towards where the most part of the market can play their game. Yeah. I mean, crisis is a great example because it's a meme now, but people who didn't live through the crisis days, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It was heavy. It was like incredible. It was heavy. And, you know, I don't think they really sold a lot of them because you, everybody... <laughs> not, not, not everybody could play it. I, it's got to be maddening for hardware folks because with, with, with games... It's. It used to be like, oh my God, why aren't you using all of the cores and all of the, the you know, all the GPU units? Look, I've got all this hardware, but you're not using it. Yeah. And then like a develop, a, 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 that's what the consumers say. And then a game developer comes out, and they they take advantage of all the cores yeah. and all that hardware. And then suddenly the people who don't have the highest end machines are like, oh my God, you, this game is the most unoptimized game I've ever seen. <laughs> Which I, I don't really square. It's like you were asking for them to use your hardware. They're using it now. You can't mm-hmm. complain about that. But. Yeah, and that, that's why, by the way, it's an exciting time to work for AMD is because on every front, CPU, motherboards, GPUs, we're pushing that edge to game developers and we're trying to lead that effort with ISVs, both gaming and creative workloads, to increase the performance and increase the fidelity and do something unique with all of them. And I think without us really having that complete product lineup there's not one company that owns all of that like we do we're able to go into isvs and say hey look we have the full solution let's work on this together and let's create more crisis let's create more games that take advantage of all this extra performance and make sure that you know gaming is not only uh thriving over the next couple of years but we're pushing the boundaries and giving gamers more of what they want which is fidelity and, and high frames per second i mean we're we're gamers too like we yeah. want awesome <laughs> games also yeah. <laughs> uh I, that, I, let me let me leave real quick. That actually touches on something that somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, and the answer is more complicated than I could answer in 208 characters. But they asked me with Radeon now, and you know the two major consoles, it's in the cloud. It's you, you guys just signed a deal with Samsung for the mobile parts. Yeah, they were wondering why does AMD need to make desktop graphics cards. Why? Uh, well, for gaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for yeah. creative workloads. Uh, there's always going to be, uh, you know, by the way, just speaking about cloud, uh, this is just my own gamer opinion, but I believe it's going to grow the gaming ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I do too, definitely. Um, I think that it's going to bring more people in to try it. And then they're going to realize that when they're at home, in their home environment, they're going to want a, a premium, uh, you know, low latency experience. And I think that as they try on the on the go in a notebook environment or in a, uh, maybe they're traveling at a hotel and we all know hotel internet speeds suck. Um, I, I do have a complaint about that. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that I think that more, it'll bring more people into the, uh, in, into the game space. And I think more people will try. It's just like mo- what mobile phones did for gaming. And uh, people love playing mobile games. And what it created is this really nice industry that started branching off into what else can you do with the mobile game? Well, now you see Fortnite go across different applications and different, you know, mobile to console to PC and that, that Fortnite ecosystem has really grown the passion for that type of a game. And I think that has just brought more people into the community, youth all the way up to um, older people like us, who now play sometimes. Classic Fortnite. gamers. Uh, Classic and so, gamers. You know, our view, is, our view is wherever gaming is, we want to be there for. And graphics is a major part of every type of touchpoint, console, mobile, cloud, PC, notebook. Um, and we want to be there for them. And, uh, and we've invested in all of those. And that's why we're super confident about you know, timing ray tracing right because we're in all of these spaces and we're in a major player in all of these spaces, uh, and we feel like we've timed it right. When we're ready for ray tracing, we think the ecosystem to be ready for ray tracing, and and we want to make it a great implementation where we're not penalizing on performance and dollars. We're 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 timing it right for when the the major players in the ecosystem are ready. I I, I think you could also make the case that a desktop discrete GPU is an excellent pipe cleaner 
for these other markets. Yeah, it, right. It's the most performance, the most technology, the highest demand from from the customer base. So you know that's where the innovation goes, and it trickles into all these other markets. And 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 there's an innovation story for the desktop GPU as well. So I totally agree. And now I can go back to that guy and say, "Here, I asked for you." There you go. <laughs> I actually, you touched on ray tracing. I just want to ask a quick follow-up question. Uh, like NVIDIA, they enabled ray tracing uh, on the old Pascal GPUs, even though they don't have dedicated ray tracing hardware. Uh, did you guys have any discussions about that? Do you have any plans to maybe do the same for Radeon cards? Uh, we continue to discuss it. Uh, we continue to discuss our strategy for ray tracing. Uh, our view is we want, you know, when games are widely available and it's not just Dig Dug or Pitfall, we, we want to make sure that um, it's high performance, doesn't penalize your GPU, and that the demand across the ecosystem is ready for it. Um, and so, you know, I think that when we take a look at our ray tracing support strategies, we want to make it be a great experience. There's nothing worse than trying a new feature out and... Um, you get a huge hit in performance, and then you have to do some sort of trickery with uh, technology feature, DLSS in this case. Then you get a blurry image. And then what it did, I think if you look over the past year, all the gamers we talked to and the game developers, it really put a bad taste in everyone's mouth of what ray tracing is. And that's not what te that technology is. I mean, that technology is a forward-looking, awesome technology when implemented right and when everybody's ready. And it is definitely the future. So don't get me wrong. It's definitely the future of real-time ray tracing in games. It's just it needs to be done right, and it needs to be done where um, gamers feel they're getting a tremendous amount of value and they're not feeling bad about it. Uh, that's not what, what we want to do is give gamers a technology that they feel bad about trying and that they feel penalized for trying. Okay. So you guys launched, uh, what was it, uh, Content Adaptive Shading and Radeon Imaging? Image, Image sharpening? sharpening? That's right. Yeah. Image sharpening. Um, are those kind of setting the s steps for you guys? Will that play into your ray tracing vision in the future? Is that like setting the steps in hardware? Yeah, that's right. So we're 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 using some features today that don't have a performance uh, penalty, um, and it, it improves the image quality. But you'll see that implemented out in the future in our roadmap with uh, real time ray tracing when we're ready. And we're going to continue to adopt those in an open GPU. You know, I think we announced that we're putting it on <clears throat> GPU Open, our our website yep. that allows developers, anyone, even our competition, to download it and implement it if they wish um and so our, our strategy is that um, we want to make it widely available for all game developers you don't have to sign a special contract or you know pay for you know some licensing fees it's just it's for you to use and it's for you to adopt in your engine and if you can't adopt in your engine we have radeon image sharpening that can do all that for a gamer right inside of our driver across games so i think we're you know our, our view is let's make it open let's make it free the only way to really push gaming in our view is to make everything open because mm -hmm. it, then people can innovate off of, uh, you know, drivers or, or tools or APIs that they can get for free and go do the innovation that they want to do. We don't want to, you know, restrict it. We want to say everybody should have access to it. We shouldn't penalize our competition. Our competition can use it if they want. Let everybody have access to it. So that way gaming continues its growth trajectory that uh, we all want to have happen. Can I have one more follow-up question? I'm shutting out Gordon over here. That's, that's so you, right. you were kind of touched about open standards. Uh, one of the biggest improvements in the new Radeon Media Engine is to say for DisplayPoint 1.4, the display stream compression yes. for 4K 144 hertz monitors. Yeah. Could you talk about that and some of the benefits it brings? Because like on the G-Sync HDR monitors, like to reach those rates, you have to hit 422 chroma subsampling and stuff like that or other things. What's the benefits of the display stream compression? 
Yeah, I think you'll just get a lot, you know, our GP will now be able to feed a lot more bandwidth and, and higher resolution with HDR. Um, I think it's 8K HDR at 60 hertz, and it's, uh, like you mentioned, 4K at 144 hertz. And so it's enabling the ecosystem with the hardware uh, vendors person. And we announced that E3 ASUS is going to be coming out with the monitor very soon. Uh, we'll let them announce the date. But um, <laughs> it, it's important for us because we're, we're in such a lead in the monitor ecosystem. There's no doubt about that we have won the free, yep. the free sync battle. Um, it's it's an easy win for us. We have now over 600 monitors fully supporting FreeSync. Um, so it's important for us to get this early uh, DisplayPort 1.4 DSC out there, start seeding the monitors, and then now we have to work with the game content developers to make sure that they're taking advantage of that extra bandwidth and producing HDR. Because if, if you've never seen HDR, especially on a 144 hertz 4K monitor, it is absolutely gorgeous. You have to see it in person, you have to experience it. But now with DisplayPort 1.4, RGPUs can support that really nice high fidelity. And so, uh, but it, take, it does take some work. We have to make sure the game developers are ready. They're enabling it in their games. They're enabling it uh, across the ecosystem. And so we're just, uh, you know, announcing just ASUS right now, but there's going to be a whole host of monitor panels supporting it going forward that I think will, will make the gaming community excited. Also, Brett, I mean, to, your, to your point, sorry, uh, about Chroma subsampling, you know, the, if, if anybody out there has ever seen like a 422 or 420 Chroma subsample display, text rendering is not pleasant. On the, yeah, it on gets bad. Monitor. It gets bad real fast. And it looks okay for, for gaming and stuff, but any any interface stuff doesn't look great. So display stream con- compression in 1.4 allows you to do that high frame rate 4K at 444, which is, at, and, and it's visually lossless. So it looks great. Text is sharp and clear, just like you would see on a 1080p display or 1440p display or normal 4K display. But now you're looking at it with HDR, high frame rate, it's 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 the ideal display technology. Um, that's actually a minor feature, I guess you would call it, but it's one of the ones I'm looking forward most to in these new Radeon cards. Me, me so. too. <laughs> there was a question on YouTube about why is the 5700 series locked? Um, if they can uh, for overclocking, locked. Uh, it's definitely not locked for overclocking. Oh, okay, no, I think they're locked. talking about VBIOS. Bios. Like swapping out the VOD BIOSes and stuff. Uh, it's well, gamers. Uh, yeah, let me uh, let me just talk a little bit about um, our plan. So, fifty seven hundred, you can definitely overclock the fifty seven hundred. Um, you'll you'll definitely be able to overclock it at launch. And then, of course, shortly after launch, our AIB partners will be in market with their own versions. Um, I know there's some debate about the blower uh, decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love to address that, um, but. Um, our AIBs will have all of the various designs, overclocking capabilities, you know, their own tools that they put in uh, their, their boxes to allow gamers to tweak it and overclock it. All, all that will be standard and available. And does that include voltage? Uh, you will have, well, we have Wattman. So Wattman, you can, you know, tweak our overclocking and all of the parameters in Wattman today. And that'll be standard with uh, the 5700 at launch. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the blower decision? Because I was just retesting Vega 64 the other day, and I'm like, I forgot how much I don't like <laughs> testing the Vega 64 blower edition. So why did you guys choose to go with the blower yeah, edition? Yeah, so let's, let's just hit that head on. You know, from, <laughs> from internal at AMD, uh, there was a, a, a varying debate about Axial versus blower. And what mm-hmm. we found out is the enthusiasts watching, the nerds watching your stream right now, I would be comfortable with them selling them Axial fans. Mm-hmm. Um, because they normally, the enthusiast community, knows how to cool a PC. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some um, pockets of gaming, gaming, gamers that aren't experts in cooling a PC and, and thermodynamics and how to properly 
control airflow. And what we found out is it's more safe for us to produce a great graphics card to exit the air out of the case than produce an axial fan where a gamer who might not know how to cool their PC well enough might run into problems and throttling because they don't have the proper fan placement or or cooling systems enabled on their PC. So it's just consistent performance out of the box that we can guarantee with the blower design. And AIBs will be shortly behind this with their own axial fans. So if you're an enthusiast and you must have an axial design and you prefer that, it's going to be coming out soon. It's going to be coming out very soon behind the blower. But for us, it was a decision to say, I know that I can, when I put up that performance chart at E3, I can hit these numbers consistently for every PC in the world if I produce a blower design because there's no throttling inside the chassis. You know, and um, and and I'm exiting the air out of the, the system. The GPU doesn't run into temperatures that are due to a chassis, uh, the heat in the chassis. So it's just consistent performance that I can guarantee um, initially at launch. I mean, you, you've reason. seen blower designs dominate this industry for yep. 20 years, yeah. and that that's the reason why it it's the most reliable thermal solution for every user. Yeah, straight up. You but but there's predict. there's enthusiasts. By the way, I, I fully I, I fully concede there are enthusiasts that know how to cool their PCs. Yep. Even myself, I. I personally prefer an Axial fan because I know how to cool my PC. I just couldn't mm-hmm. guarantee the community and the public performance levels if I produced a, a reference board with Axial. And that was something that it was a really tough debate that we had to make a uh, decision on. To At launch, how, what do we launch with as a reference design? And we chose the blower for consistent performance. So this one, did you guys uh, keep uh, acoustics more in mind after the, some of the feedback on Vega 64? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you'll be happy with the acoustic levels that you'll see in the reviews. We've much improved it greatly. Um, okay. uh, I believe we've improved it really great. I think mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find out when the reviews hit 7.7, but I, we've, we've spent a tremendous amount of time on this. Can we get better? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Blowers are typically a little bit louder. And so mm-hmm. I think that if you're really sensitive to that, you should wait for our partner's designs. Yeah. I should like Gordon ask a question now. Can I, I, want, to, I, want, I want to ask uh, a CPU question. So, All right. uh, so Ryzen nine thirty nine hundred X twelve core part, price four ninety nine. Core i nine nine hundred K four eighty eight eight cores. Does AMD see these parts actually? Because the price is the same today sure. that we believe. Uh, these parts really go head to head, right? Yeah. Or should we really be putting that up against the Core i nine ninety nine twenty? I mean, no, I, I think that's the head to head okay. compete with the ninety nine hundred K. That's that's the point of the price and and the fact that we can jam twelve cores in there is just a benefit of our our process leadership and and the the frankly genius work that our packaging engineers have done to put that many cores in the same old socket. So yeah, that's the head to head compete. Okay, because I mean, a lot of the benchmarks you showed off, you guys were whooping a ninety nine. 20x yeah which well is that's not a 1200 cpu right that's a 1200 cpu so it's always nice to punch well above your your weight class but yeah it's it's a mainstream processor in a mainstream socket yes it's at the high end of that envelope but that's a 9900k compete straight up okay because i i just i just want to make sure i i understand like i, I don't want people to come back and say well they really wanted this to go against the 1200 and i want to be clear about that like if if i take Straight up answer, if I take business from a $1,200 processor from my competition, that's a win for me. <laughs> so I don't think that's so bad. Okay. Uh, and then there are rumors of price cuts. Uh, we don't know. I, I haven't even bothered to ask Intel because I know they ain't going to answer it. But there's rumors of, you know, like 9900K and I imagine most of their parts taking a haircut. Do you think it's going to be enough to put their parts still in contention with your new Ryzen 3000s? I, it's impossible to speculate, right? That's just 
right now trade rumors. Right. So who knows the veracity of that? But what I what I can say is that we have an extremely competitive processor portfolio from two hundred bucks to five hundred bucks, and in September, all the way up to seven hundred fifty bucks with a sixteen core. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. But I, I think there's a lot of competitive pressure coming from us on those parts. Okay, uh, on the Ryzen three thousands, you guys are calling this. Great big giant cash game cash. Sure. Um, and for people who don't know, there's just an, a crazy, insane amount of cash on these new chips, mm. um, and it benefits games a lot. Sure. But it will also benefit other applications, though. I imagine. Sure. It, it benefits anything. So actually, I want to tackle something up front. You know, I've seen some consternation, especially from power users who who are saying, you know, you're essentially just trying to rebrand L3 cash. And I want to be very clear. It's L3 cash. No, it's right? game cash. <laughs> it's game cash. It's right? L3 cash, right? And we know that. Uh, everybody listening to this podcast knows that. But the other thing that I would say is that we are actually a small section of the overall market, uh, us enthusiasts. And there are markets out there who don't know microarchitecture, don't even know what L3 cash is, and may not even know who AMD is as a company. And we have about five seconds to capture their attention in a retail space. So I have this feature, this ability, my, I put double cache size in going from second gen to third gen, and that improves gaming performance by up to 20%, independent of clock speed, IPC, all of it, right? Just, just the cache gives me up to 20% faster gaming. So I have to find a way to communicate that benefit to people, those people, who may not know who we are. And so for that market, that's what game cash is. But, uh, you know, more generally, the whole idea of increasing the cash size was to keep more data on the chip, less fetching from memory. And a lot of the changes in Zen 2, in addition to the cash, were keep more data on chip, increasing the size of the op cache to prevent instruction redecode, adding another address generation unit to... Uh, get more memory addresses on the chip rather than fetching them, right? These are things that improve throughput and keep data local to the CPU. And that pays big, big dividends for many types of workloads, but especially games, because games do lots of random one-off requests to memory. And if you can keep it on the chip and shave like 30, 35 nanoseconds off that request because of the cache, that's a huge boost. And it wasn't possible to do this with 12 nanometer just simply process I mean, it's, it's just, just area big. you know yeah. we have a limited amount of area to put transistors in and 12 nanometers we could not fit that cache in into that area but seven nanometer we could and many of the front end changes on the architecture uh, also were process limited so switching to seven nanometer allowed us to build in some of these innovations in zen 2 that were just not possible in the space before uh, are we going to see much of a difference in memory performance between a single, God, I always get it wrong, CCD, a one chip versus a two chip, 12 core versus the eight cores? No, from the perspective of the operating system, these are, are essentially monolithic designs. Uh, all the CCXs have common latency access to uh, the memory because the memory controller is in the IO die, so they're all hooked up centrally. And then uh, cache requests are, you know, aside from wire latency physically going across that wire um which is only one to two nanoseconds um it's a common cache access as well so you know it may look physically separated but from the perspective of the system it might as well be monolithic sorry yeah i 
two questions uh, regarding CPUs. First, seems like a lot of people have different motherboards. So what's the kind of performance difference they'll get with the new Ryzen, uh, whether like on a B350 or 450 or X370, you know, kind of across the board. Uh, and then everyone's shouting at me to ask you guys about third-gen Threadripper. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll tackle the motherboard question first. So, you know, we behind the scenes we one of our engineering efforts is to design when we when you build a socket you have to also define the thermal and electrical standards that go into that socket and that's a set of minimum requirements that every motherboard has to follow and and so when you have a new generation of cpu that uses less power than the old one and has better thermals than the old ones that means the same old sockets offer more headroom than they did previously so there is no performance difference between, you know, 300 series chipsets, 400, 500. And, and that's by design. That we, we planned for that five years ago when we started designing these socket standards. And, and I think that's an incredible foresight from our engineers to, to build that into the plan. Um, and then on the topic of, of third-gen Threadripper, uh, first of all, it's, it will happen. And... You know, there's not a whole lot I can say, but you know, as socket AM4 moves up, Third Ripper has to move up, up, and and, and you will see what that means in time. Uh, but by no means is is Third Ripper going anywhere. We're the number one selling high-end desktop uh, platform, so why would we ever give that up? It's just amazing because earlier you said like, what would you ever do with more cores? The only place to go from 32 is the 64. Well, people people want more cores. We understand that, <laughs> especially content creators. And we want to give them more cores. Has that? I, I I wonder though because I mean, when Threadripper came out, the big deal was has a crazy amount of cores for an incredible price. Has it? Has it? Has it? Have the ISVs moved now? Because they're like, whoa, uh, I, we're uh, getting thirty two core chips for next to nothing. Let me let me take a run at this, mm-hmm. and then you can follow up. As is well refined. Uh, some of the biggest adoption is in the uh, entertainment space, movies, mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. creation. Um, uh, you know, heavy scene rendering. The, all there's a tremendous amount of do- adoption in the professional space with Threadripper, and I think that's uh, that's pretty exciting stuff for our engineers to see that they built this fantastic performing chip that's being widely adopted in the entertainment area. It may not be necessarily um, heavily used in gaming today, but in the entertainment creative space, it's widely adopted. Yeah, there's this insatiable appetite for cores in yeah. certain market segments. People use virtual machines, do rendering, encoding, modeling, light map, baking. You know, just any number of cores you throw at that problem makes it better. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, huge adoption there. Yeah, and just like, I mean, the, the, the I mean, I, I said this originally when Ryzen 1800X came out, you know, AMD essentially democratized CPU cores. Sure. And here we are now, it's... 12 cores for 500 bucks. It's yeah. that same thing uh, 8 core 1800x cost, right? Was it yeah. no, it was 529 with no yeah, no cooler. Yeah. You're getting a 12 cores 7 nanometer with a cooler now. Mhm. It's like damn. <laughs> it's it's just it's, a cra- it's a crazy time to be in the industry. The pace of innovation is really fast. It's a great strategy because like we talked about earlier, the ISVs they can, they have to see mass adoption. The only way to get mass adoption is to have affordable price points with a lot of performance. And over time, you build that so they can build better things. So it's a, it's a really smart strategy that the CPU team has employed and the engineering team to make sure that we're giving fantastic new products out there at a cheaper price. So that way, the community will build products and games around it. Yeah. And so they are coming. You've built it, and they're actually coming now. They're, I mean, 
That's what you're. I mean, I'm just trying to get a sense that those, because you know, de- software development is always it takes know, a years away, years out. But the feeling is more cores, more threads will be used. But well, it's essentially like ray tracing, right? You can't just announce ray tracing and have hundreds of games immediately. That's not what I heard. You wait for it. <laughs> all the it games to be ready, then you make yeah, no. the GPU. I, we heard it just works, but the reality is that's not the way it works. Well, uh, one of the things uh, yeah. I would say about third-gen Ryzen in general is it's sort of the best of both worlds. You know, Generationally, when you factor in clock and IPC, it's like 21% more single-thread performance. Okay, so that lifts all boats, right? Every workload gets better as a result of that. So if you have a lightly threaded workload, that's just substantially better than it was last year. And then you can factor in the cache stuff as well. And there's another uplift. But we also packed in more cores. So it doesn't really matter if you're doing the multi-thread stuff or the single thread stuff. It's both substantially improved in the product. So you can't really lose. I'm going to ask a question, unless Brad, I don't want to monopolize You're good. everything. You're on a roll. <clears throat> so seven seven. This is this has been a topic among a lot of people. Like it's July seventh is a launch. It's basically during a Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That means life is hell for anybody. <laughs> for people answering questions, people asking asking questions. Traditionally, you don't launch on a major holiday in the United States. Most people would go. We're going to do it. Give it a little buffer time. Is it that symbolism of 777 that valuable? Seven nanometer, just so people know, seven nanometer, seventh month, seven day. Was it, is it going to be worth it? I mean, that's, that's the main driver? Well, actually, no. The main driver for us as a company is uh, get new, brand new, fantastically performing products out as soon as possible. And our engineering team, trust me, they have very little sleep these days. And, <laughs> well, yes. and the reason why is because we wanted to launch these brand new products as fast as possible. And it just so happens that our CPU engineering team, our GPU engineering team, have put in a tremendous amount of effort over these last couple of years. And they lined up perfectly to this date. And it was just a good marketing date to align to to say it symbolizes the whole company effort on 7 nanometer, July 7th availability for these two brand new awesome products that come together categories to come although together. i will say you know fourth of july weekend sitting on a patio drinking a beer eating a hamburger <laughs> is it really that bad fun. of a time to scroll on amazon <laughs> and buy something i mean <laughs> just oh, on your smartphone clever clever like <laughs> and you got time to burn right well, maybe not. Oh, maybe you know, not all of us. You but. get a, you drink a few beers, or like you just like add cart impulse you know, decisions. Ryzen nine thirty nine hundred X. Yeah, just kind of like buy. Nobody's looking at you. You yeah. get home, you're like a box shows up. When did I order this? Could happen on seven 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 seven. seven. <laughs> um, There's some questions and people are kind of asking, and maybe Gordon can actually kind of phrase this better. But people are asking about uh, RAM speeds. And overclocking options. Um, so one is the RAM uh, RAM speeds between the X four seventy, the B four fifty, and the X five seventy. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I think I can tackle that one. So, uh, so we have done plug and play memory at in our labs set up to around forty four hundred. Just stick in the kit, load the profile, and go. Uh, our partners like MSI have done up to DDR4 5100 on air, but you know I know there are people out there trying to piece together on PC Part Picker this hypothetical system that they're going to buy, and they're wondering what RAM should I get. I really do think that the performance sweet spot, price performance, is going to be like DDR4 3600, C15 or C16. So you know, take that to the bank. That's kind of the memory kit that you, you really want to buy for for the the price performance, but. Um, 
So what, what makes memory overclocking better? One, we have an all-new memory controller in third-gen Ryzen. That is a big help. We have a new con- a firmware for that memory controller. That's a big help. Uh, we've done a lot of BIOS work, not just in this generation of product, but coming off of first-gen and second-gen, memory compatibility has progressively improved quite a lot. And, and then lastly, X570 has um, you know, revised motherboard layouts, uh, more PCB layers, uh, different trace lengths and routing. And when you put all of that together, yeah, X570 is probably going to give you the best memory overclocking. But we're not talking about standing on the shoulders, heads and shoulders above here, right? Uh, an X470 motherboard or a B450 motherboard is still going to give you a great experience because uh, the the majority of, of that overclocking benefit comes from the memory controller and the memory controller firmware that we provide. Okay. Uh, do you, how much are you going to give up? So 3,600 kit parts are probably a little pricier if you went with 3,200. A couple percent. Uh, so, so when not- when you, when you're understanding how games access memory is really important, you know, they're not, they're not typically bandwidth limited, but they make a lot of random one-off requests frequently to memory. So uh, what, what we actually call it, it's the first word time. So memory is arranged in rows and columns. And how quickly can it find that first cell of data inside the memory, the first row and column? And that's called the first word latency. So there's actually not a lot of difference between DDR4-3200 at CAS14 and 3600 at C15. That first word time is very, very similar. Uh, So the performance difference is not all that big. But what the DDR4-3600 might give you is a superior memory bin. So it's a physically a better quality chip, which would allow you to tweak the sub-timings more or get more clock speed out of it, uh, or even bring down the major timings to like 3600C14. And that's that's a big step up. So, uh, you know, raw, out of the box, probably not much of a difference, but that 3600K will probably be a better overclocker. Okay. And people should remember, as you increase the clock speeds, latency goes down, even though it's a Absolutely. Bigger number, right? So, uh, I want to ask a question. There was recently a Reddit post. Somebody took the internal. I don't know if it's true or not, but I. It looks pretty authentic. The internal newsletter from Intel. I think it was Circuit News or something, and they talked. Uh, it was Intel basically talking about AMD, AMD and Ryzen and where it is. And I, one, it's amazing because. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, 15 years ago, Intel wouldn't even say the word AMD. A long time ago, they used to think AMD, in fact, were traders because, as we know, some of the AMD founders came from AMD. all ancient history. But this is now Intel publicly admitting to its employees, you know, it's a huge force, that AMD's Ryzen 3000 parts are going to be just, they look, these things are going to be, you know, lean and mean. And actually admitting this to its employees, I was really kind of floored by this. Um, did you guys have any reaction? I mean, assuming it's true and not not, not the I, most I elaborate know. hoax ever. By the way, I don't know if it's um, if it came from them directly. It looks like it, but it's a great free advertising for us. I, mean, <laughs> I think that um, you know, to be honest with you, we uh, we track our competitors, but we are really only focused on ourselves. And executing, and so if they're saying that about us, if that's a true thread, and all those um, users um, that responded to that thread were true, uh, that's great. We, we do feel like we're we're executing better, but we're not done. I mean, there's so much work we have to do that, um, you know. I think the way that Lisa and the management team 
have refocused us on priorities. And, you know, a lot of times that Lisa or other executives are on stage and they talk about we're a high performance computing company and we're executing and we need to execute. It's a statement to our 10,000 employees that um, the only way to um, outpace your competition and to make a difference in the marketplace is to focus on yourselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have to be Mm -hmm. competitive. Of course, you have to produce a good product. But you can only do that if you narrow your scope and you, you worry less about the noise and you worry about exactly what your goals are. And that's one of the leadership traits that Lisa has taught all, all of us is let's make sure we, we focus on ourselves, we execute to our plans, and we do what we say. And um, if Intel is now saying that we're doing that, that's great. It's free advertising. But, <laughs> but it's not something that we take for granted. And, and that's why I'm so excited. And there's so many people excited to work for AMDs because we are a completely different company than we were five years ago. Absolutely. And, um, and we're, we're all about executing, performing, and living up to our commitments. And do we make mistakes sometimes? Yes. We're humans. Uh, we are a human company, by the way. We're not a robotic corporation company like some people on Reddit call us. We, we read all those comments and it does hurt. Uh, but, but we really, we do care. And, and the reason why you see these fantastic partnerships with Sony, with Microsoft, with, with Google, with Samsung is because we're a humble company just trying to win and execute and do the best that we can. And we're not arrogant. We don't go into a, a relationship saying, hey, you must do this, this, and this, and have all these T's and C's. It's like, how can we help you build a great thing? AMD feels like a big little startup sometimes. Yeah, really does. <laughs> it really does. And, uh, now. Yeah, anyway, so that would be my explanation. If that is a true thing, then cool, thanks. I appreciate that. But we, don't, we, we actually don't even pay much attention to it. You sure that you? was uh, that was a great answer. But for anybody who wants to know the real answer, find the YouTube version of this podcast and go back and look at the look that Rob and Scott exchanged when Gordon was asking this question. And there's your real answer. <laughs> oh, please don't. Oh, funny. It's going to become a meme. Here it comes. <laughs> so, Gordon, I don't know if we have that much time left, but there and this is probably going to be actually a quick answer. But people are asking, what are AMD's plans on like a- APUs? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll go and then you could go. Um, so, uh, you know, what's really great and exciting about APUs is um, because of the performance the engineering team has put into not only our CPU cores, but also the graphics team is heavily involved with APUs in terms of software and bring up and optimizations is we're finding that our APUs are able to drive these nice thin and light mobile designs. So now you can actually game for the first time ever on an APU on a notebook. You can travel and game and have a good performance in esports games, maybe low settings in AAA. But um, you know, we have a huge performance lead in APUs and it's our strategy, because we are a company with, with great both, great both graphics and great both CPUs, if we can deliver great gaming and mobile thin and light platforms, um, you know, we're super excited to do, to do that. We are experts in graphics and gaming. Our, our competitors who have APUs are, are not necessarily as, as expert as we are. And I think that as we bring that performance to the table in thin and light designs, what you're seeing is a tremendous amount of awesome new notebooks come out with APUs that can drive great esports results or AAA games, maybe with lower settings. And it's something that we can offer to the gaming public that maybe not a lot of, a lot of others can do. I, I think on the desktop side, you've seen us talk a lot about third gen Ryzen processors, uh, but there there are APUs as well. Um, it, coming in the Ryzen 3000 family uh, with frankly killer performance for, for the price points and you'll see more about those on July 7th. And you know those are um, 3000s but they are, the APUs are uh, still 12 nanometer based. That's correct. CPU. I, you obviously can't talk about future plans on all of it but I just, I'm just kind of I can't, 
I'm like, my mouth is watering for the seven nanometer when it sort of trickles down to that part. I know, but I understand. But, uh, you know, one of the things about having access to all these different process technologies is that we're allowed to and we're empowered to make decisions that are right for different segments. And there's a certain performance threshold that those products need to hit. And 12 nanometer does that. And and so we think it's the right process for the right products at the right time. And looking into the future, who knows? It'll be fun. Sure. And also at the right price, too, because, right I mean, yeah. I, I think some people were a little, like, bummed out that the new APUs that were launched were 12 nanometer parts, not 7 nanometer. But it's like, dude, do you want you want 7 nanometer leading process, most expensive thing out there, pushed down into a $65 APU? It just seems like a little... It's challenging. Challenging. <laughs> I would say, like, nay, realistic. It's, it's just sort of like asking for everything. Um can I ask a question? Uh, I this is definitely one thing I need to ask now. This is a for uh, from our uh, Twitter, uh, and I hear this from a lot of people, and it's going to get worse and worse. But it's how does Navi? I will read it correctly. How does Navi in console support ray tracing, and Navi on PC does not? Is it all caps? That, no, but that's. Mean, oh, okay. I'm sure that's the small way they cap, would. Big caps, small oh, okay. cap. Yeah, they'd want me to read it that way because there's uh, outrage sarcastic there. Sarcastic um, uh, What I would say is. Um, Right now, we believe that the announcements that we made that console partners are not today, right? So that's all I can say. Okay. And um, they're not shipping today. So I think in time, our ray tracing strategy will play out, and I think it'll be perfectly time for the ecosystem. Um, and so we've first-generation Navi, which is what this is, is, is we believe perfect for performance per dollar. And it's exactly what gamers want without the hint of something that's not really happening. And so... Um, you know, out in time, our roadmap will, will go on and we'll have more products and it'll c- become clear when the time is ready, when ray chasing will be more supported. Okay. Yeah. And the consoles are coming out in a year and a half, at least the Xbox Scarlet, and they're built for much longer product cycles than graphics cards. And I'm sure that all plays into the decision whether to support in the consoles versus graphics cards today and whatnot, too. I'll let you have that be the answer. <laughs> so we have about five minutes left. I want to make sure I've not stolen all the time. Brad, you got any follow-up questions you want to ask? Anything that's bringing your mind? I just I just had one. It's kind of nitty-gritty, but I just had one question I wanted to ask. So you guys have done a lot of under-the-hood changes, like the whole new RDNA architecture. Yeah. Made all kind of, we obviously didn't have time to get into that today, but the clock speeds are much higher for Radeon... 5700 than they were for vega that's right uh i really like that you guys introduced the gamer clock yes so that makes it more clear this is what gamers can expect this is what the maximum is um i was wondering if that gamer clock that you specify for say the 5700 xt its gamer clock is 1755 but Mm -hmm. the maximum boost clock is a little over 1900 yeah uh once those axial designs and custom cooling designs come out could we expect to see real-world clocks for those custom-cooled cards inch up closer to those boost clocks? I think so. I think they'll, our AIBs will be innovative and do their own OC designs, or they'll be able to push it. You know, As they get more experience with it, they'll have different results. Um, and you know, uh, thank you for bringing up Game Clock, by the way. There was, we, we, as a group, Radeon in the past, haven't been necessarily the best at explaining uh, what we call base boost and and oversee in the past, and I really wanted to clean that up. And the team, and the engineering team, really wanted to clean that up for this launch. And what we call game clock is the minimum expected game clock you should see across a variety of games, a, a ton of like top hundred games. 
And we wanted to make it something that you should expect out of the box because uh, we wanted just to set the record straight and just clean it up going forward. And so I think as our AIB designs come out and um, they do some innovative things with their own coolers, you should see that game clock potentially inch up. But it's going to be a collaborative effort between ourselves and the AIBs because what we don't want to have happen is a game clock that's promised that's never delivered. And uh, we'll, we'll, it's our job to do that for the community. It's, you know, we're the ones leading the charge on, on our game clock and how we set it and enable that through OC specs with our AIB partners. And we want to watch that closely because we don't want to have a Reddit thread that is disappointed in that again. And, um, and so what I would say is we, we hope to make sure that it's a very straightforward thing going forward. And of course our AIBs are going to innovate with our clock speeds. And this is just our, our minimum guarantee with our, our reference board designs. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about all, I know all the designs coming out from the AIBs. There's going to be some pretty cool stuff. And I think that um, you should see some innovation there. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Dan, you got a, and you, you want to clean up there? Cause I, I don't want to leave the, cause I'm sure there's a billion questions. Cause the last one I have is, is, is probably silly rather than actually. <laughs> I think like, there's a lot of very specific nitty gritty stuff. So I think you can just uh, take us out, uh, uh, finish it up. Uh, well, <laughs> I, oh, wrong no. answer. Oh, I just had to ask this cause I was really surprised cause I, I put out a question like, Hey, any questions for AMD is like, uh, Zephram said, Lisa Sue, will you adopt me? And you said, "Oh no, no, I'm, I'm first in line." Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> she's the real deal. You're right. Um, there's a lot of people asking that question. Thunderdome deathmatch for Lisa Sue adoption. <laughs> yeah. She should just like, hey, yeah. Uh, uh, also, we're gonna put you to work here. You're gonna working in a hey, you know, because you know you're. As we know, those of us with kids, you're gonna Dan will find this out. You make try to put them as work as possible, and you don't have to pay them. That, that's why you have kids, right? To put them to work. Yes, that's yeah. the best way. Yeah, maybe you don't want to be adopted then. Oh, hey, maybe I do have the last question. I forgot to ask this. So, because earlier you mentioned you had a response. Uh, NVIDIA, sorry, I got to ask this. NVIDIA basically at E3 said, hey, we basically, uh, I'm going to read this from PC Games N, a, a report by Jacob Ridley. Uh, Radeon Imaging Sharpening and Fidelity FX. So we, of course, this is uh, Tony Tomasi, I believe, answering this. So we, of course, have similar techniques for quite some time. Freestyle, about a year and a half ago, it was a large number of filters, which includes things like sharpening and color correction. If people find sharpening by itself particularly cool and valuable, we can uh, we can kind of invest in that. But uh, Basically, in, NVIDIA is saying, uh, we got most of the software stuff you've already had. I think anti-lag, the sharpening, we already do that already. Okay, cool. Um, what, what I would say is that, uh, um, you know, we've tried DLSS out in the lab, and I think it's blurry. So I think our implementation is good. Um, but I, if they have it, they should, they should launch it then and maybe make a deal of it so people get excited. I know gamers want better fidelity with little performance hit. And so that's why we uh, chose to put out our um, technology features, CAS and RIS. And I think that you'll see even more innovations coming out in the near term. And anti-lag is, um, is, was one of my requests because when you're playing eSports games, you know, you have all these high frames per second. If I can get some of that latency out of there, I want an advantage. So if they have that in their driver, they should maybe enable it or yeah, make it, a deal of it. Yeah, I think it's a big some, deal for the community. Some people have been running around saying it's just tweaking the, the number of back buffers and it's you know, categorically not that not, it's, it's not, not that, that. Uh, you'll, you'll see what it is, you know, come July 7th. But you know, I, I don't think people have what Radeon Anti-Lag does. Yeah. Okay. So, so people don't know, catch up. Anti-Lag was a, a huge reduction in, in latency. Up to 31%. Click, click, the, click the mouse. Right. 30, 31% is a lot from yeah, uh, technology. Big. So yeah. 
Now, are those uh, titles for those technologies going to have to be like whitelisted or dev support, or are they just going to work for content adaptive shading and anti-lag? Um, anti-lag is something we can control. I would not suggest using it in AAA games. It's a really an eSports feature. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My, my strong suggestion is eSports um, only. Mm-hmm. You could try it in AAA, but it might give you varying results. Um, Radeon image sharpening is out of the box or a driver enablement that should work across games. Um, mm-hmm. Fidelity FX using CAS is a feature enablement for our game developers. For developers. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they, it won't, it's not an out-of-the-box thing. It's an engine like Unity. We announced Unity will be adopting it and others. Um, so that's like our, our, our tool set for uh, CAS through Fidelity FX is our tool set through game developers. And RIS is if there's not game adoption yet, you can use that in our driver and get similar results for image sharpening. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Cool. So we'll make the last question a technical question rather than, uh, than me just being silly. So I'm going to take us out, but I do want to thank again Robert Halleck, far down there. Thank you. And Scott Herkelman for coming by the set because it's awesome. Uh, July 7th. July 7th. July 7th. 7 nanometer GPU, 7 nanometer CPU. Mm-hmm. So 777. Seven. Seven. The only company in the world that can sell CPUs and GPUs launch brand new things. Huh. Same day. I am, and I'm just. I want to see what other people say. I, you know, I, I don't know what I can say yet, but it's, it's going to be. It'll be a big day, right? I yeah. mean, yeah, we're excited. Yeah. So okay. Uh, check back next week for your fix of PC talk on the Full Nerd for audio listeners. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Send questions and comments to the Full Nerd at PCWorld.com. Every time you do, maybe AMD will add another seven to the seven. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon with Brad Charkas. Adios. Scott Herkelman from AMD. Thank you, everyone. And Robert Halleck from AMD. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. And Dan will take us out. And bye, baby Leo. Yeah, I survived. I survived. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us.